When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome on in, Eagles fans, to a special episode 40 edition of the No Huddle Show, our Philadelphia Eagles podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined this week uh, by Mark Eckel. It's, it's myself and Mark this week for uh, a special commemorative podcast. A sad day for Eagles fans, uh, but one I think that um, obviously everyone can look back on, on all the great memories. Buddy Ryan, the ex-Eagles coach from 1986 to 1990, passed away at the age of 82 on Tuesday morning, and it's been kind of a retrospective the past couple of days of everyone that's been around or was around during that era and all the great memories of Buddy Ryan and his teams, are really the character that was Buddy Ryan, even more than the football stuff. Uh, so, Mark, you covered Buddy. Uh, you've been around the Eagles, obviously, for a very long time, and um, I did hear and I, he did hear and read some of what you wrote. So we thought this would be a, a cool podcast to kind of get a retrospective of Buddy, and uh, especially from someone like you who, who you know knew him for all those years. So... How, how would you describe Buddy Ryan, uh, Mark, if someone didn't know him? Um, wow, that was, in one word, unpredictable, because uh, you never knew what to, or unexpected. You you just never knew. You had, I mean, like I said, I that was when I first started covering a team. Uh, I think my first year was '85, Marion Campbell's last year, which was very non non relevant or irrelevant. I mean, it, it was just a nothing team going nowhere. But I was still so my second year covering a team. Buddy comes in and. I didn't know what to, I mean, I'm, I'm covering high school sports, you know, two years prior and now I'm covering the, the, the NFL and buddy comes in and, and it's just wild and crazy. And, and I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking, wow, I guess this is what the NFL is like. And no, it was no, that it's never been the same again like that. Um, it was different. And um, the thing about buddy, like you had to be at every, like you had to listen to everything he said and you couldn't miss. We had listened to his radio show on Monday nights because you never knew what he might say there that he didn't say earlier. Uh, I remember one time when, when he actually cut a guy on the radio, I, for, I forget the guy, but it was like, a, it was a, you know, a, a nondescript backup kind of guy, but um, he does his, he's doing his radio show and a, and, and a caller calls and says, Oh buddy, you, that you got to get rid of so-and-so you this guy's killing us. And buddy's like, I already took, took care of that. I, I, I cut him this afternoon. And so, well, so there we go, you know, the guys covering the team are listening. We, we go scrambling, you know, for a story. And then the next day or whatever, we, we asked Buddy about it. And he was like, well, why? You know, he's like, well, you guys didn't ask. The, the caller asked me. So it was, but but there was another side of Buddy that a lot of people, everybody saw the the, the colorful, the, the, the great quotes, the one-liners. Uh, and that's what made it fun and interesting. But there was another side of Buddy that I really got to know 
uh, through the years. And, and he and I actually got very close after he left the Eagles. Um, he was a great guy. I mean, I, I know, you know people want to say he's just rough and tough and all. That was a little bit of an act that, that he portrayed because he kind of got it, that, that football was, was entertainment. Um, and he was an entertainer. But there was a, he was a great, I mean, I, he did, I remember I was in the hospital in 1990, I guess that was his last year, uh, during training camp, I had a, a gall, gallbladder surgery and I'm, I'm I was, and, and this was prior to gallbladder being an easy in and out kind of thing. So, um, I'm, I'm in the hospital for, for a couple of days, I guess. And, um, I'm laying in a hospital bed and the, and the phone rings and, um, and it's buddy asking me how I'm feeling and, and how I'm doing. And, and then he wanted to know if, if I was going to be, be back in time or if he was going to have to put me on the injury re- reserve list. So, um, I mean, that's, that's just the kind of guy, you know, he, he cared about if, if he liked you, he really liked you. And, um, I, you know, it, it was, I, like I said, I, I, I kept in touch with him through the years. Um, when he was in, when he wasn't coaching, when he was in Houston for that one year, when he was in Arizona for, for, for a couple of years. And then, and then even after that, um, he would, we would just keep in touch if, if he was ever in the Jersey area. Um, he, like, I remember the one time one of his horses ran in the Jersey Derby at old garden state. And, um, he, he called and invited me and my wife at the time to, to come down and, uh, join him and his wife for, for dinner. We, we sat in the owner's box, watched the race. I think his horse came in third or fourth. I forget. Didn't win, but, but, but ran a good race. Um, had a great time with him. Um, so yeah, I really did get kind of close to him through the years and, um, I can't say anything bad about him. I really can't. I mean, he was just, he was a, a great guy to cover and a, and a better guy to know. Mark, you said there that, you know, he kind of got it and he understood there was two sides and maybe what he portrayed in the media wasn't always the way it was behind the scenes. And I heard a story Seth Joyner told, uh, the other day on Comcast talking about when he held out for a new contract yep. and, Basically, Buddy told him privately, look, I'm going to blast you here because that's kind of what I have to do. And the ownership will like that. And I'm going to make it seem like someone's going to take your job. But then he told him privately, you know, do what you have to do. And it always seemed like Buddy Ryan's players loved him. And I I heard that story and that that kind of stuck out to me that, you know, he might have said some things. But behind the like they knew he had their back, at least a lot of them, I guess. Yes. Seth told that that story, huh? Because that's. Seth told me that for my book that's coming out in a couple of months. I'm, I wish he would have held that back, but uh, not yet. Yeah, that's that's funny. Yeah, that was. I mean, that's a great. That's that's just one of many strengths. And even guys like like talk to Gary Cobb, uh, who Buddy actually cut. He he cut Gary after what two years with him or whatever it was. Um, but Gary, I mean, so here's a guy that could that could wheel, you know, that that could have an axe to grind. But he cut him, you know. No, he'll tell you what how great he was and. You know, it was just a numbers game at the time. Gary was getting a little older. But, you know, yeah, Buddy, Buddy, and it, it all came, it all started, I think, during the 87 strike. Uh, I don't know if Seth mentioned that at all. But, um, you know, that's when, that's when it all, like the Eagles in 86, Buddy's first year, they they still weren't very good. They were 5, 10, and 1. Uh, they started 87. I, think, I believe they were 1. and They were getting better, but they were 1 and 1 when the strike hit. And he told the players, Listen, I don't care what you do, but do it together. Either you all come in or you all stay out. But I don't I don't want a splintered team. I don't want, you know, I don't want this kind of, you know, half the guys are here, half are out, and we have you know, I don't want that. So whatever you do, do it together. And 
and the stuff he said during the strike and everything about the, you know, he, he made it clear to, to his players then that he had their back and whatever they decided to do, he was with them. And while that hurt him toward management, uh, it really did get the players behind him. And that was a different, when that strike ended, the Eagles were, were a different team. They, they played very well the end of that 87 season and then won the division in 88, made the playoffs in 89 and 90. So you, that, I think if, if you have to point to a turnaround of the Buddy Ryan era, it was during that 87 strike. Now, Mark, when we talk about the Buddy Ryan era, I find this fascinating. I wasn't old enough to remember it and to experience it, but I obviously have you know, kind of paid attention to it over the years. And really, what I do know now is how beloved Buddy Ryan is and always has been in Philadelphia, especially compared to other coaches that have come through and, and coached the Eagles, even coaches that had more success mm-hmm. than him. Buddy is still beloved for the era. And you look at, like, if you just take, remove yourself from it and you say to yourself, all right, if I just look at the wins and losses, the playoff wins, especially in a town that has never won a Super Bowl, you know, it doesn't really seem to add up. Why do you, why do you think Buddy was so beloved, even though he didn't really come close to delivering Philadelphia what, what it starved for? And I know then in the 80s it wasn't quite as long as it is now. Um, in terms of a Super Bowl drought, but still, you know, they didn't win or come close to winning a Super Bowl, yet you talk to Eagles fans and, you know, they'll just poo-poo, you know, the Andy Reid era and they'll want to go back and talk about the Buddy Ryan era. Why do you think that is? Well, I have two reasons for that. One is you have to go back to what was going on then, all right? So it's, and that was, I covered, I said my, my first year was 85 before Buddy got here. Think think back to, to 1985. The Eagles are are a bad team, not the worst team in the league, but 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 not good by by any stretch of the imagination. But also very boring. Uh, they 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 play a three four bend but don't break defense. That's just you know they they're okay, but they're not exciting in any means. The offense has an aging Ron Jaworski at quarterback. They've already traded Wilbert Montgomery. Mike Quick's very good, but he's a wide receiver. That what can he do without people around him? Right. So it's a there there's no there's 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 nothing going on with that team. Now, around the city, you have the, the Phillies, who have been to the World Series as recently as 83. You have the Sixers, who won the NBA in 83. And you have the Flyers, who had, who had hit bottom, but were coming back up with the hiring of, of Mike Keenan. Who were, and, and they were about to go to two Stanley Cup finals. So the Eagles were fourth in a four-team city. They weren't even close. They were fourth. They were the fourth most interesting team, the fourth best team, you know, so they're nothing. The Eagles are irrelevant at, at this point. Now here comes Buddy Ryan, fresh off the Super Bowl win with the Bears, where, they, where after they beat the Patriots, his defensive players carry him off the field. You know, comes in with a, with a bravado, a swagger that the Eagles had never seen before. I mean, Dick Vermeil was a great coach and turned the team around in his way, but it wasn't that way. It was by hard work and everything. This guy comes into town. I'll never forget the first year – First, for his first training camp at Westchester when he grabs the microphone and and, and and crowds are big now all of a sudden. There's people coming out to see this Buddy Ryan guy and and, and to see his team. And he grabs the microphone. I forget who was doing some kind of like, I guess it was like a Merle Reese kind of thing where they're, they're just introducing the players, whatever. But Buddy grabs the microphone and announces to the crowd that we're going to win the NFC East and we're going to sweep the division. Of course, they didn't that first year, but the fans went crazy. And then he would rip the Cowboys. That was... See, Buddy told me, one of the stories through the years, what he told me was when he said when he got to town, the first thing anybody told him was, as long as you beat the Cowboys, they're going to love you. 
So he picked it up right away. All right, I'm, people here hate the Cowboys, then I'm going to hate the Cowboys. I'm going to make. I'm going to get after Tom Landry, and I'm going to rip the cow. And that's what he did. And he did beat the Cowboys. And he was eight and one in non-strike games against the Cowboys. So that, that's you know people love that about him. And and again, this Philadelphia loves that kind of attitude. They and and they love defense. They love a good defense. That's why people like Jim Johnson better than Andy Reid. Because Jim Johnson was the defensive coordinator for those good teams. So they, they want a defensive-minded guy, which Buddy was. His defenses were, I mean, even the people that don't like him as a head coach, they always say, well, he was a great defensive coordinator. Um, so that, that's part of it, too, I think. that he like I, I said this to a person earlier in the week. I, I don't know if Buddy would have played as well if he had gotten hired. Like, like Take the same, same thing. You know, the Bears win the Super Bowl, and he gets hired by the – I don't know, pick a team, the Rams or the um, the Cardinals, which he did go on to get hired by. I don't know if he's revered the way he is here because of everything that was going on at the time and in his attitude and the way this town feels about things. Right, kind of like a right place, right time, and, right city. And it, and it did work. No, they didn't win a Super Bowl, but they haven't since either. But they did, he did turn a really bad, boring team into a good, not great, but good, exciting team. And and again, he should have gotten more time. That that's I'll I'll say that forever. I mean, I know why he was fired, and it wasn't because they lost three playoff games. That 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 gave Brayman the excuse to fire him, but it was because he showed no, Norman Brayman no respect and just drove the man batty. And and Norman had enough. I mean, Norman was going to fire him a couple times prior to that, and Harry Gamble talked him out of it. This this last the, the last time Harry couldn't talk him out of it. So. Um, you know that that's you know I think things were getting bad. I mean, they needed offensive line help. He wanted to draft Eric Williams. That's a story I could tell you. The day after the '91 draft, Buddy calls me, and we're talking about the draft. And he's like, "I can't believe the Eagles traded up and took that kid from from Tennessee." Now this is before games played before a snap is taken. He's like, "I can't believe they traded up and took that kid Anton Davis from 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 Tennessee." And everybody thought Anton was good, right? I mean, that was, no one ripped that when the Eagles did it. I said, you, you don't like him, buddy? Nah, he can't play. Him or the other kid. Talking about Charles McRae, who was also from, from Tennessee. Neither one of them can play. I said, oh, so you wouldn't have done that? Hell no. He said, I, the, he goes, I hate to say this, but the best offensive lineman in the, in the draft went, went to the Cowboys, Eric Williams. That's what I would have taken. I would have stayed where I was, taking Eric Williams. This is the day after that draft. Look what happened, right? Eric Williams turned into one of the best tackles in the league. Anton Davis was a bust. So who knows what, what, what could have happened. But that was the thing about Buddy, too. His talent evaluation was as good as anybody I've, I've been around. If you look at his drafts and the, and the free agency, you know, there wasn't free agency then, but guys that he, he brought in, uh, trades, whatever, um, no one ever doubted his, his eye for talent. So what made him, in your mind, and obviously this dates back to, you know, way before just the Eagles, the 85 Bears, even back when he was a, a young coach with the Jets, 1969 defensive lineman, what made him such a good defensive mind? Not just a head coach, but defensive mind all across his years in the league. Was it, I mean, it's obviously always a combination, Mark, between having talent. He had it in Chicago. He had it with the Eagles. But it's more than that. It's putting that talent in the right spot to make plays. And it always seemed like, from everything you you know, I read about him, and I've watched some of those old games. He always seemed to put his players in the right spot to make yep. plays. Like th- though, that to me is what the best defensive minds always seem to find a way to do. Well, but he was very smart. You know, 
despite what people say, oh, he was blubbering. No, no. Buddy was a very intelligent man. When you like, I I learned so much from him just talking to him about the game, and he taught me so much about not just defense but football in general, actually life in general. But um, his his thing with defense was you, you have to get after the quarterback. You know, he's and he would always tell the story about you know his his mentor was Weeb Eubank, the old Jets head head coach who won Super Bowl three, and he said we you know Weeb's line always was we got to protect Joe whatever we got whatever we do we have to protect Joe meaning Joe Joe Namath obviously we have to keep him standing up if I have to keep extra guys in the block that's what we'll do but we got to protect Joe so buddy's thing was if it's so important to protect the quarterback then I'm going to go after him if he keeps if he keeps six in the block I'm going to send seven if he keeps seven in, I'm going I'm always going to send one more than he's keeping in so I'm, I'm always going to have that that advantage that was buddy's thing go get the quarterback knock the quarterback out um, Gary, Gary Cobb tells me, he used to tell me stories that buddy, like people talk about the bounty bowl and all that kind of stuff. One of buddy's lines was during the course of a week was, Hey, um, I heard that, you know, whatever team they, they were playing, I heard they, they have a good backup quarterback. Let's find out. <laughs> that's so. perfect. That That's a perfect line for, and I, I think fans just like ate that stuff up because yeah, you know, it's it, it just, it was a fun time to watch buddy Ryan teams and, and yeah, I mean, some of those defenses, I mean, you know, when you look back now, Mark, are you surprised that they couldn't get further considering his defensive mind, the talent, the, the Hall of Fame type of talent they had on that defense? Or yeah. does, it, does it still make sense to you because the offense lagged behind? Well, the offense had its moments. It wasn't like, a, you know, I've seen, I've seen worse offenses. Um, you know what? I, and I, people say I, I'm an apologist and I make excuses. But if you look at each individual playoff loss, all right, the first one to the Bears, the Fog Bowl. I mean, do I have to say anything else? I mean, who knows? And Eagles, and Eagles had a million opportunities before the Fog came in, and they blew them. They had they outgained the Bears. I mean, they were going up and down the field, and they just they they missed a couple fourth and fourth and short. Uh, they I think Keith Jackson dropped it, who was a great player, dropped a touchdown pass. Keith Jackson never dropped. You know, he might have dropped two passes a year. He 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 drops a touchdown pass. They have a touchdown pass called back for a motion penalty or something, you know, silly. Um, and, then, and then the fog comes in. Well, that was that. So, again, not an excuse, but, all right, they they lost to the Bears on, in Chicago. It happened. A very good Bears team, too, wasn't it? They lost to a bad team. The next year, they're playing the Rams, um, who was another pretty good team. But Eric Allen, their best corner, gets hurt in the locker room the day before the game messing around, I don't know what they were doing, but he, he twists his ankle. He can't play. Jim Everett goes bang, bang against Eric Allen's re- replacement, Eric Everett, who wasn't very good. Two touchdowns, Rams go up 14-0. Eric Allen does tough it out and, and, and come in in the second quarter, but they're already down 14 nothing. You know, again, the offense didn't play well in that game. That was Fritz Shermer deserves a lot of credit. He came up with a pretty good defense that kept Randall in, in check. Uh, and in the last game, the last playoff loss was to the Redskins. I believe they had, I believe Jerome Brown and Dave Alexander, their Eagles starting center, and Jerome, of course, their great defensive tackle, both both were banged up. And in that game, I don't know, Joe, you said you're kind of young. I don't know if you re- remember this, but the Eagles are up 6 nothing in that game. The Redskins have the ball, and they're driving. They're in Eagles territory. Um, I believe it was Ernest Biner. But it might have been Riggs. I forget. Well, they, they, Redskins running back at the time fumbles. Ben Smith re- recovers it, returns it for a touchdown. Eagles are up 13 nothing. Instant replay had just been put in that year. 
they replay it and they say he was down before he fumbled. Touchdown comes off the board. The Redskins go in and score, make it seven six, and go on to win. If they don't, re- if and again, wasn't you know, I'm not saying it wasn't a, a a right call, but again, if there was a replay or if the replay didn't go their way, Eagles are up thirteen nothing. That might be a totally different game. Certainly could have been right. Like the kind of the breaks um, that they didn't get during that time. And when when it, it ended, when, it was, when the Buddy Ryan era ended, Mark, did you think? Uh, like, how did you think of it then compared to now? And I know, obviously, uh, time always kind of changes these things. But did you think, man, that that team should have won a title? And, and if they were, if the, they gave them some more time, they would have. How did you view it in the moment when Buddy's Eagles tenure ended? Oh yeah, I was well, obviously because I like Buddy. I was pretty upset. Um, and I ripped Raymond, of course, for for, for not giving him another, at least another year or two. Um, and actually, he wasn't. He really wasn't fired in a sense. His contract ran out. He just never got. They just didn't give him another contract. Like he didn't have a year left. He and that was that. That was the thing. All during that year, we kept waiting for the. Is Buddy going to get extended? Is Buddy going to get? Are they going to give him a new deal? And that's when it kind of got like they might not. They might just let him go. And then they finally did. So, but no, I yeah, I I thought. I mean, it, I guess, like you said, the the defense was pretty well set. He was another good draft away, you know, from maybe you know adding obviously an offensive lineman. That's what they really needed. Um, maybe a maybe another running back, and I think they would have that team. I mean, obviously the the fix would have been you know the the, the draft would have focused on the off you know on on the offense. And Buddy's drafts, like I said, you know they they were all pretty good. I don't think there was a bad one. So yeah, I I thought that team. And then when they fire Buddy or not well, let, you know, let, let Buddy go and bring in Kotite, I don't think we thought Kotite was going to be as bad as he was. We didn't know. But we thought, okay, well, maybe – I mean, the, the nucleus was still there. I mean, they didn't lose too many players that first year. So you thought, okay, maybe this team could do something still. I mean, it wasn't like they fired Buddy, so now the team's going to stink. But then you, but then once you start seeing how Kotite coached, you kind of knew – Wow, this guy's not. This guy's not going to be very good. And then the players, despite you know, the, that's that's when the that's when the locker room split, and that's when the, because the, the defensive players kind of revolted a little bit. Uh, they didn't want Cote at all. They didn't respect him at all. They and they not only were they mad that they got rid of Buddy, but they if they were going to get rid of Buddy, they if they if they would have promoted Jeff Fisher instead of Cote, I think it would have been a different ball game too. Mark, how do you think Buddy would? Like, if we fast forward this to today, Buddy Ryan's a young coach. He takes over the Eagles this offseason, let's just say. Okay. Um, how do you think he'd play now? I mean, you've seen, oh, you, you've seen the way things have changed in terms of uh, the media, certainly for over all these years. And, um, you know, his son has had some success. And yeah. his son, just the stories you tell me about Buddy, reminds me so much of Rex. But oh, Rex is you, Yeah, do you think Buddy would have the same yes. type of love and success now? Um. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and I, I think he's one coach that would have would have handled the, the the quote unquote new media and social media and all that so much better. I mean, he would have been he would have ate it up because he loved it. He was the one of all the coaches I've covered by far and away. He he understood the media more than any of them, and he liked it. He enjoyed talk. He liked doing press conferences. He's the only coach I know that kind of liked doing press conferences because he liked answering questions and being a smart ass and giving funny answers and, and saying funny things. He, he enjoyed that. He, 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 like I said, he, but he was as much entertainer as he was football. I mean, as great a football coach as I, as I think he was as a defensive mind, as we said, he was just that good as, as an entertainer. 
And so he would have loved, you know, 20, like, think back then. I mean, there was, radio had just started, like sports talk radio was, was kind of, you know, small in the city then, like maybe a show here, a show there. It wasn't like, it wasn't like it is now, 22 stations, 24 hours a day. Right. But he would love that. He'd be calling in every show. <laughs> oh, he would have been, oh, he would have ate that on Twitter and Facebook. Oh my God, buddy. Would have, he would have ate it. He would have loved it. He would have, I, 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 I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know. Cause we'll, we'll never know, but oh yeah, I, I think he just would have, he would have just ate this stuff up and, and, and enjoyed every minute of it. Cause he enjoyed what we, the, the little bit that he, he had that. Yeah, he certainly, I mean, he certainly seems, I agree with you. I think he'd be a His blast. radio show was like standing room only. He, he did that radio <laughs> show at the Ribbit, the old Ribbit in down, down, downtown. I think it was on 1210 then, if I'm not mistaken. And it was like, you had like people pack the place. Andy Reid, now you're talking about this, like the difference between Buddy and, Buddy and Andy. First of all, Andy's radio show was unlistenable. It was the worst radio show in the history of radio shows. And that says something. And nobody even went. Nobody cared. It was so boring and bad because Andy hated doing that kind of stuff. So, right for for as good of a coach Andy was, I, I don't think the word we would use we wouldn't use the word compelling to uh, to describe no. Andy Reid. No, it was boring. It was it was you know so that that's part of why people say to me why do why did why do people love Buddy and and not like Andy when Andy had more success? Well, it's, it goes back to what your like your like your mom and dad taught you when you were a kid, like you know, like be nice to the people that that are nice to you and like people that like you. Well, Buddy was very likable and very nice. Andy, not so much. Right, and it kind of comes, you know, always, always comes back to that in a sense. So before I, I want to, before we wrap up, I want to just get a couple of um, just maybe stories that some yeah. people don't know that you might know, or kind of personal things um, that you, you know you could tell us about Buddy. Kind of cool stories before we wrap up. But I do want to ask you before we get to that um, about Buddy's flaws as a coach, because you know we keep oh. going. Everyone always likes to go back to offense, and I did hear you the other day when you were. Um, on what Angelo Cataldi and you guys were talking about the fact that he wasn't a great head coach, good head coach, not great head coach. And do you think, do you think basically that he ignored the offensive side of the ball too much that if, if he had fixed that, he could have been a great coach? Yes, absolutely. Well, not just fixed it. I think if he and nothing against Ted Plum, who was a nice guy, but he was an average offensive coordinator. And then, they, and then he had, then he, Ted got fired. They hired Cotite for the last year. Again, nothing special there. Give, but if Buddy would have had a, Top of the line offensive coordinator, a John Gruden like oh, that that Ray Rhodes had, you know, or um, like Andy had Jim Johnson, you know. I mean, take Jim Johnson away from Andy Reid. Let's be honest, is how good is he? I mean, in his Eagle days, after Jim passed away, Andy was thirty three and thirty one. That's not very good. So let's keep that in mind. Um, but Buddy didn't have that. Most of his good assistants were on defense. He had Jeff Fisher, Wade Phillips, you know, guys like that. His his offensive staff as a whole was, was just average. And I'm that's maybe average at best. So yeah, I, I think with a better, and, he, and, he, and you know what, again, I'm, I'm making excuses, but Doug Scoville was probably his best offensive coach. He was his quarterback coach and the guy that Randall, that was really bringing the best out of Randall. And Doug has a heart attack and dies in 1988. Who knows if Doug doesn't pass away, maybe he becomes coordinator. Maybe he brings the best out of Randall, and, and maybe that team does win a Super Bowl or, or go further in playoffs. And I mean, the whole world could have been different. But yeah, I don't think it was Buddy ignoring the offense as much as, like most head coaches, he 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 delegated. You know, Andy delegated to Jim Johnson, Cotite delegated to Bud Carson. You know, Chip Kelly delegated to Billy Davis, and that didn't work either. But um, you know, that's but you need all your great coaches other than other than Belichick. 
who, you know, he, that's why he's in a class of his own, you know, have had, you know, very good assistant coaches, you know, very good co- coordinators that have carried it the other side of the ball for him a lot of times. That's what Buddy didn't have. He didn't have that great. And the guy he wanted, it's funny because I, I actually talked to him about it years and years later. The guy Buddy wanted originally was Rod Dauhauer. To be his, that's who Buddy wanted on his, to be his offensive coordinator his first year. And I think the Redskins just gave him a better deal or whatever. I forget. I think that's where he was at the time. Um, they gave him a better deal to stay there. You know, he, they, he couldn't get him. And I remember talking to Dow. Andy eventually did it. That was Andy's first offensive coordinator. And I remember talking to Dow Howard about, you know, you almost came here years ago, didn't you? He's like, how'd you know that? I'm like, oh, Buddy and I talk. <laughs> and uh, he's like, yeah, I, I would have loved to work for Buddy and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I had to do what was best for, for me at the time. What was best for me was staying with the – with the Redskins, I think it was I think it was the Redskins. So yeah, I think if, if that was if if you asked me what was Buddy's greatest flaw, well that and not not being somewhat nice to his boss. I mean, <laughs> you know, just a little bit. And I mean, again, you know, you want to compare Andy and and Buddy. Anytime the Eagles did anything, signed a player, made a trade, first words out of Andy's mouth were, "I got to thank Mr. Laurie and Christina and Joe Banner and Howie Roseman and blah blah blah." For having for, for for you know he always, but he never thanked Norman for anything. You know he he made fun of him, called him called him the guy in France. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean he he couldn't have been let, and it was funny to us. You know, we it gave us great great quotes and great great copy to write. But and again, I, and Buddy did learn that because when he when he went to Arizona, um, those two years he you know he had bid Bill Bidwell was the owner then and. He wasn't any better than Brayman as an owner back, especially back then. The Cardinals were kind of tight, but he he learned his lesson. He never he called him Mister Bidwell anytime he referred to him. You know he did thank him. He, he he did. I think he learned that you should be nice to your boss. Maybe yeah, that kind of goes a long way if you do that. They say history re- repeats, and I think a lot of it did in, in terms of Chip, but Chip and Jeffrey kind of the same way as not that Chip called Jeffrey the guy in Hollywood or anything, but you know <laughs> it was close. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, it's kind of the parallels there between, uh, you know, their two tenures and kind of the way they treated their boss. So, Mark, give us a couple stories, just uh, maybe your favorite buddy sure. stories. They could be football stories. They could be away from the field because you got to know them a little bit. Whatever you want to share right. here. I'm going to give you my uh, two favorite ones. One was written out by another writer, but I'll, I'll tell from, from from my angle. Tim Kawakami used to cover the, the Eagles for the Philadelphia Daily News, and then he left to take a job at the Los Angeles Times covering the Rams. And Tim, Buddy liked, liked Tim a lot as well. Liked him a real lot and thought he was a good writer and everything, which he was, still is. Um, so the Eagles are going to play the Rams the third game of the season, and this is 1990. So Buddy's telling – Timmy and I were good friends as well. So Buddy says to me – and he had said this during training camp before Tim left, that when when we go out to Los Angeles, he wants to go out to dinner. He wants to take everybody out to dinner. With, with, as like a going-away party for a Timmy kind of thing. So – the game's getting, you know, the game's getting closer. But he says to me, "Hey, have you ha- have you talked to your friend friend Timmy? Tell him, I'm, you know, I'm I'm serious, but I'm tell him to pick a restaurant for us and blah blah blah." So I called Tim. I'm like, "Listen, Buddy's serious about this. He he wants to take everybody out to dinner." And um, so Tim calls Buddy. Buddy tells Tim, "Yeah, get, you know, find a good restaurant, find a place with a good wine list. I want a good wine list." So Tim does research. Now Tim's all nervous. He's going to pick a bad restaurant. He, so he like asked like the food critic at the LA times to find a good place, with good wine list and this and that. So we, he picks his place in Anaheim, Mr. Stocks, but he gets a limo for us. A limo shows up at our hotel 
buddy and like eight writers pile in the limo and we go to this, we, we go to dinner. So now we're, we're sitting down. The, the waiter brings the wine list over, which is like a, like a New York phone book. This wine list, right? And we hand it to buddy. But he looks at it, looks at us, says, hell, I don't know. Get a bottle of red and a bottle of white. That, <laughs> but that was buddy. That, that's just how buddy was. And my favorite one, and I, I'm, I was saving this. This is going to be in, in the book I have coming out. But this is years later. Buddy's done, done coaching. And he's doing an appearance somewhere in, in Philly or Jersey somewhere. And he calls me. He's in town. Come down. We'll, we'll go out to dinner. So we, I'm, I, he's staying at the, at the again, was it, was it Cherry Hill Hyatt? Was there a Hyatt in Cherry Hill back then, I think? Whatever it was. But it's down in Cherry Hill. So I go down to uh, meet him. And we're sitting in his, he has a suite. And there's, there's these guys in the room. And they're all there. And this is like, this is kind of a two-part story. But there's, um, there's a bunch of guys that he's introduced. Oh, this is Marty so-and-so, so-and-so. I'm shaking their hands. Like, they're old coaches. Old, like, I, I had heard of their names. But I didn't really know the guys. But so they're, they're in there. And, and Buddy keeps giving me the eye. Like, he's giving me the eye. Now these guys say, all right, buddy, we're going to get going. We'll see you later. Nice meeting you, Mark. Yeah, take care. Like the, the three or four guys leave. But he, but he looks at me and says, Jesus Christ, I didn't think those guys were ever going to leave. I want to get dinner. Let's go to dinner. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he and I are going to dinner. And, and now we're talking about this and that. And one thing about Buddy and why he, why he liked certain coaches and didn't like others, Buddy paid his dues. Buddy was a guy that paid his dues. He was a Jets defensive line coach under Weeb back in, six, in the late 60s. Went from there to the Vikings, worked under Bud, Bud Grant for a few years with those good Vikings teams. Then went to the Bears as defensive coordinator. Then, then he didn't become a head coach until he was in his mid-50s with the Eagles. So he's a guy that worked his way up, paid his dues. He didn't like these guys that just kind of got handed coaching jobs, you know. And so that's why he, he, you know, he resented some guys, didn't like, other, you know. But he didn't like Don Shola for some reason. And Don Shola, I think, from my recollection, was a guy that but he should have liked. He, you know, Don paid his dues, worked his way up, and was – successful and everything you would think they would get along right so i buddy and i are talking having dinner and i say to him i'm like buddy how come how come you and shula never got never got along with I, I would think that's a guy that you would you would get along with he says well, mark I, you know I don't, I don't know i don't know what it's not me it's not me i never had nothing against shula he, he didn't like me he never liked me i don't know why he liked me he says i you know i saw him once at a party after we after we uh, beat him in Super Bowl three, and I, I saw him and I said, "Hey Don, thanks for the ring." Ever since then, he didn't like me. <laughs> but that was funny. that that story. But he didn't. Like, he just said things. He didn't care what he said, who he said him to, and that like, he he didn't understand why Shul didn't like him after he thanked him for his ring. <laughs> Yeah, that's perfect right there. I, I could just – the way you describe that story, that, that is classic there, and uh, it kind of goes along with all the other stories and things that we've heard over the last week. So, um, Mark, this was great to be able to do this, and, and obviously it's, it's sad that we have to, but it's yeah. great to be able to kind of put a, a nice touch on – But on that, on that note too, Joe, I mean – and again, I was – you know, I, I knew – like I said, I knew him very well. We stayed in touch for years. But the last the last couple times I, I talked to Buddy, it was it was hard. I mean – he was sick. He was he was not doing well health. I mean, you saw pictures of him even. It's kind of a play. He's in a better place now. I mean, I you know, I would have loved to have seen some magical cure come in and make him what he was, you know, 20 years ago and be helped. But I, I it was hard to see him suffer the way he was. And just even talking to him sometimes it was it was painful. And I could you know, I could hear the pain in his voice even, you know, so he's up there now with Reggie and Jerome and they're, they're, they're causing trouble. They're, they're going after some, some quarterback. They are that that's exact. They got back together again and, uh, and quarterbacks up there. Uh, they're, they're having a tough time. They're, they're being chased around up there. Yep. 
Mark, really appreciate doing this. Uh, we'll reconvene soon and, and obviously get back to talking about uh, the 2016 Eagles and all that fun stuff in a few weeks. But I uh, appreciate you doing this and, and offering and, and sharing all these stories um, with all the Eagles fans. So I'm sure I'm sure really will appreciate listening to this one. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Mark. And thanks to you for listening uh, to episode 40 of the No Huddle Show, our Philadelphia Eagles podcast right here on NJ.com. We'll be back soon with Elliot for uh, some more football talk about the Eagles. But we thought this time uh, we had to talk about Buddy and kind of put his life and Eagles legacy in perspective. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back.